Hello, and welcome to the Human Behavior Podcast. If you've been following us for a while, you can go ahead and skip to the episode intro, but if you're new to the show, let me introduce myself. My name is Brian Marin, and each week, my co-host Greg Williams and I will be bringing you insights into the complexity and simplicity of human behavior. Greg and I run a training and consulting company called Arcadia Cognorati that specializes in what we call human behavior pattern recognition and analysis, or HBPRNA for short. We are experts in two things, human behavior and the limits of cognitive performance. Our unique methodology has been used successfully in a number of applications across many domains for two simple reasons. First, we've been vetted and tested by a number of U.S. government research organizations that proved our methodology is both scientifically valid and highly effective. Second, we stick to the universal bandwidth of human behavior that is observable, measurable, and therefore predictable. Our system works in any country, in any language, and does not rely on arbitrary things like ideology, race, or culture. So if you're looking for the latest pop psychology idea or the newest social media obsessed term, there are plenty of other podcasts out there for you to enjoy, so please look elsewhere. I suggest looking quickly because none of those concepts will stand the test of time. If you'd like more information about us or want to read more about our process, please head over to ArcadiaCognorati.com. You can find the link in the episode details. Please check out our Instagram and YouTube channel, and we also have a Patreon site where you can get more information about the concepts we address in the podcast. Thank you for tuning into the show. We hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at thehumanbehaviorpodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning back in this week. We are super excited to bring you the very first episode of the Human Behavior Podcast. For those of you who've been listening to the Left of Greg podcast, we think you're really going to enjoy the new format as well as the additional content on Patreon. At Arcadia Cognorati, we train people how to conduct predictive analysis and read a situation, event, or person more accurately because if you can do that, you can make more informed decisions and you won't be forced to react or respond to everything that happens. You can actually control the operational tempo and use time and distance to your advantage. So for this very first episode, I want to start with a topic that Greg and I talk a lot about in our in-person training courses. We decided to use an article that Greg wrote a few years ago as a basis for the episode. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can read the article titled Sensemaking versus Sensemaking, which is a play on words about whether you are accurately making sense of your environment or if you're making a stink of the situation. We often see examples on the news of situations that have gone catastrophically wrong, and the pundits and armchair quarterbacks come out with all kinds of opinions on what the person did wrong, but they fail to accurately explain why they made the wrong decision, which I simply define as a failure in sense-making or an error in comprehension. So in this episode, we're going to explain why all humans are prone to errors in sense-making and why we keep getting things wrong even when we think we aren't. During the episode, we unpack some complex issues about errors in judgment and where they come from. We talk about heuristic processing, psychological imperatives that are biased in favor of our survival, and how the line between fantasy and reality can easily get blurred. I want to give a special thanks to the folks we met at APX Studios in Ferndale, Michigan, where this episode was recorded. Not only were they extremely professional and helpful, but we had an amazing conversation with them after we recorded the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to know more, please check out our Patreon site. If you enjoyed the podcast, I'd kindly ask that you leave us a review. And more importantly, please share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget that training changes behavior. All right, Greg. Um, and those listening, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Human Behavior Podcast. Those uh, left of Greg fans who've been following along for a long time, you'll you'll uh, still appreciate the new format. But uh, today we've got a very special first episode coming back back to your roots, Greg. Here on a wonderful gray, cold, snowy morning, right near Detroit, recording this episode. I thought it'd be fun to uh, be able to do this here, um, kind of not far from where you grew up. And, uh, and, and jump into it today. So um, kind of for this first episode, we're going to be talking about sense-making versus scent-making or sense-making. And what I mean by that is when we talk about human behavior and we talk about um, how people perceive things, we refer to it as sense-making. How do you sense-make in your environment? And um, so if I'm thinking sense-making like that, I'm thinking of Sherlock Holmes and I'm thinking of sense-making, I'm thinking 
you know, making a stink, Pepe Le Pew. And this sort of comes from actually something you wrote a while ago, Greg, um, that I kind of, I really liked a lot for a number of reasons, because you kind of explained how things go wrong, how we have failures in sense making, and we don't see things properly. So therefore we don't respond or we don't make the best decisions simply because of an error and how we perceived what it was that we were experiencing. So that's kind of the, the, the front load here to this episode, but I was thinking, you know, if you wanted to, you could, could read what you wrote and then sure. we can unpack some of the concepts in there and I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about what, what you wrote and, and what it was for. Yeah. So very briefly, and thank you, Brian, and congratulations on the first episode uh, of, of the new podcast. Uh, the idea was that we spent a lot of time in hotels going from training venue to training venue and uh, overseas sometimes and outside the wire sometimes. And what happened is I would write a series of what I called instructor develop, instructor development pieces for down and in for our personnel. Uh, and this is one uh, that I, that I wrote and uh, without further ado, I'll read it. Yeah. So it's a uh, beginning. I got done rereading Brett Easton Ellison's American psycho recently. And my renewed interest had more to do with the hidden sociopath here Patrick Bateman, played by the kid from Newsies, uh, who operate freely amongst us. Some of my earliest memories of using human behavior to predict danger, rather than a gut instinct or the look of a psychopath or sociopath, came from me being exposed to Hitchcock's twists and turns in the movie Psycho. Hitch wasted no time wasting Janet Lee, and the deranged killer ended up being the fresh-faced lad from next door, here, the original American psycho Anthony Perkins. Even as a kid sitting in a theater watching the screenplay, I knew it was coming before it happened. What amazed me was that the people around me didn't. The adults didn't have a clue, and I shrieked at all the key points in the film. Humans have more than a natural tendency to turn the dark or the unknown into something preternatural. They, we, have to turn a bump in the night or a strange occurrence into something supernatural. And it actually made more than a tendency. It's, it's a physiological imperative. While science teaches us deductive logic, abductive logic, top-down or bottom-up processing, and thanks to William of Ockham, among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. And that's the essence of heuristic processing. It's much easier and faster to chalk the unknown up to something unknown or spooky. So whether you read Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or, as I do, watch reruns of Shag and Scoob, the process is the same. Each week, the mystery machine goes out to solve a conundrum, and while the misfits run from a ghoul, the smart kids figure out the problem using logic. So whether you tend to follow Sir William of Ockham or solve the Gordian knot like Alexander did, the essence of sense-making and problem-solving lies in seeing things as they really are and measuring them against the societal, environmental, financial, etc. baselines. So as an advocate of game theory and M-theory, it was initially hard for me to understand this bias of sense-making, which tended towards the absurd. But I only had a look to my favorite pacifiers growing up, cartoons and horror movies, to see the answer. Bollywood, Hollywood, comics, commercials, they've all added ridiculous standards to our internal baseline, which has become exacerbated when the neurochemical cocktails are influenced by fear. So it's essential for our human survival brain to learn lessons from our environment. When the lesson isn't so clear-cut, we tend to fixate on the super criminal or the super serial killer. The reason is simple. It would drive us mad or keep us hunkered down in a cave somewhere if we had to process the fact that many people and situations are dangerous and every human has the capacity to kill us and dismember us and eat us. We would never get anything done. So rather than acknowledge that Elliot Roger or Kip Kinkle, Jared Lee Lautner, Klebold Harris are our next door neighbors or worse yet our children, we have to invent a reality where those people exist in only the most extreme environments of psychopathy and you know, cases of severe mental illness. Hollywood and advertisers and teachers and parents understand psychology and still within us, or at least allow the ruse to continue, a typecast for the dangerous human animals in our midst. Seemingly, we can't get enough of it. The demented downside up current trend towards demonizing our phase from our childhood is only one example. We don't want Snow White. We want her frantic half-sister, Hale Black. We don't want Smurf babies or Ren and Simpy. We need the anti-hero universe where Batman fights Superman. It all plays into our electrochemical neurotransmitters, which keep us loaded with dopamine as long as the mindless pablum we're watching or listening to doesn't get too scary. This isn't new. Authors, playwrights, dramatists have a long history of skewing reality. Ed Gein and Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, into blockbuster movies, Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. 
The truth of each case is more interesting, disturbing, and amazing than any script or screenplay could ever touch. But we're okay with it because unlike reality, when the house lights come up, we can walk out of the theater safe in the knowledge that these characters were just actors playing a role. So I've written before at length about the experiments we conducted in the martial arts dojo, Relative Strangers. The bottom line was that every kid we interviewed created a stranger template that was virtually identical and remarkably the logo for Kids Don't Go With Strangers, a national movement that mirrored almost perfectly the stranger picture that they invented. It wasn't a case of mothly or life imitating art. It was art screwing with our memory, our long-term memory to erase reality and create a prototype of the bad guy. That prototype becomes cognitively close enough. So what? So stop putting the round peg and continuously into the square hole and saying close enough. In many of the situations we study, people miss the predatory looks or the mission focus being exhibited by the criminals or terrorists around them because they're stuck in a template match for danger. So our prototypical matching is faster, easier, and much more right than wrong. Our artifact and evidence-based approach and scientific method using the 6, 5, 7, and 3 consistently picks out the anomalous, and somewhere in the anomaly lies the criminal, terrorist, pedophile, etc. So keep current, study hard, and be on the lookout every day. And at the bottom, Brian in red, is before you can read us, you have to learn how to see us. And in uh, Vogue taught me that when I was a young kid, right? And, and it's, a, it's a powerful message at the end. And for those of you who just, just listened, of course, all of our, our Patreon subscribers and, and those folks can get read the actual article because there's some great images in there that go along with it and really highlight what you were talking about. And I really kind of glammed onto this for those reasons. I love, um, you know, the analogies that you use and the kind of different metaphors that you use in there and how we movies and what we see on TV really um, gives us those corrupt file folders for what we think we are, especially if you didn't maybe grow up in a neighborhood where you had to survive or you didn't see something, you don't have a lot of experience out there. You're only getting it from one place and and that kind of messes with us. So that's, that's why I thought it was interesting. And so, you know, I, I do have to caveat too. today's episode is, is sponsored by Advil cold and sinus <laughs> and as well as exactly. Flonase because I have a head cold that I'm getting over. But uh, I wanted to pull out. But it makes your voice deeper. Yeah, the does. baritone is really kicking it's right really now. coming in hard. Yeah. Um, so I want to uh, pull out a couple of things you talked about okay. that I think are important to sort of unpack. And, and one of the things you mentioned in there, you said humans have more than a natural tendency to turn the dark or the unknown into something preternatural. We have to turn a bump in the night or a strange occurrence into something supernatural. It's much more than a tendency. It's a psychological imperative. What do you mean when you say it's a psychological imperative? Okay, so let's rewind tape just a little bit and talk about preternatural and supernatural because most people don't understand the street terms that we like to use to make hard science simple and easy to follow. So preternatural is anything that's above and beyond natural or regular, but it certainly fits the laws of physics and math and science, right? So so something that's rare in nature, uh, but... Uh, can be repeated other times in nature. Now, supernatural rather is exceeding what's possible or explainable in physics and science and math. It, it literally exceeds the material world. So it's chalked up to the hand of God or a miracle, right? So what we have to understand is imperative. The word itself means a, a command that that uh, is likely to happen because it's critical or pressing. So most people, when they hear psychological imperative, they think like, well, it's bound to happen. Well, it doesn't mean, it means it's at the threshold, it's about to happen, right? And so this is your uh, unconscious mind directing the behavior of that individual in that moment. So what do we mean by that? Let's compare it simply, you have a dog and I have a dog. Uh, your dog is Bailey, and my dog is Java. They're different ages, but they would respond the same way to the doorbell ringing. Now, when the doorbell rings and it rings for us, we go, oh, it's the UPS guy. I heard him drive up. I see all. For the dog, it's a supernatural event. Their entire world is turned into chaos and they respond accordingly. They bark, they jump around, they're knocking things over because they have no idea what's outside the front door. So with a human, the only thing a human would fear on the other side of that door is something preternatural. Okay, it's uh, armed home invasion. I didn't expect that. Or something supernatural okay, I opened the door and there was nobody there. So rather than chalking it up to a momentary lapse in a battery or the electrical system, it's Sasquatch. It's a UFO. Aliens were there to abduct me. Why is that the first thing that I do? Because I'm hardwired 
to perceive danger in every event. That kept me alive for so many years. But now we're in a, 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 an age of information overload and information is immediate. So what happens is instead of stopping on the first most dangerous, my mind is allowed to wander. And so a psychological imperative means it's going to happen. And guess what? If I'm not prepared for it, then it surprises me. And anything that surprises me is anxiety born, danger born, and I make mistakes. And, and we don't, we don't like uncertainty. No, we hate uncertainty as a matter of fact. So, so we hate uncertainty so much that we repeat patterns of behavior over and over and over to release chemicals in our brain and works both ways. The chemicals release in our brain. So we do repeat those patterns. Why? So things are familiar. The more familiar things are to us, the better we like them. Anytime something disrupts, like this morning, it's snowing outside. Okay, we certainly didn't predict that uh, uh, when we got up this morning, but it is. So now that we have to deal with that, all of those cards, all of those uh, responses and reflections have to deal with that new event. When something surprises us, we have much less time. And time and distance doesn't allow us to uh, critically think. So therefore, we, we come up with these notions, the sense make. And, and you know, we, and we, we also, as humans, kind of want to have a, we want to have an, a causal relationship to everything, yeah. right? We have to say, well, this is what caused that. Now I understand it because I have to take that, like, you know, the doorbell ringing and I go and there's no one there. That's a non-standard observation. My brain yep. doesn't like those. So it has to, it has to sense make and go, well, what could it be? Yep. My house is haunted. I don't know. So it must be, <laughs> exactly. yeah, there's, there's someone living under the stairs, yeah, right? Exactly. But, but, you know, and that, that goes to, to what you were bringing up in some of the examples with movies and we'll fill in something when we don't know when your brain doesn't have an answer, it, it's going to jam an answer in there. It's going, exactly. it, it can't walk away and say, well, I don't know. It's very difficult to do. Right. Yes. So it has to put something in there. And it, if you don't have those experiences to draw from, it will make them up based on experiences that you've had. That experience might be like you brought up in the article, yeah. watching a movie, uh, hearing a story from somewhere. So that's kind of how it starts to muddy the waters a little bit. And, you know, people talk a lot about now as well, you got to be a critical thinker and you got to use logic and you got to use that. And that's all great to say, but humans are kind of heavily emotionally based. And, you know, well, let, me, let me give you an example yeah, of exactly you, that, Brian. So, so we have Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, who preyed on other humans in his neighborhood, uh, would first have sex with them, then would kill them, then would hang different body parts around and freeze some of them and eat some of them. Jeffrey Dahmer had friends that he didn't kill and eat. He also had neighbors that he didn't kill and eat. So after the police were there and the crime scene tape is up and people said, this guy's been killing like it's a contest, the neighbors had to come up with something. When the cop came and said, well, didn't you smell the decomposition? Didn't you notice him? Didn't you hear these late hours and the screams, right? So how do I come up with that? I either reconcile that, oh my gosh, I missed everything and my neighbor was a serial killer. Or I said, you know what? He was a master criminal. He knew how to control his emotions and we never saw it because he, why do we do that? It's we don't do denial. that for Dahmer. We do that for us. Yeah. So we can survive tomorrow and not think that my neighbor is a massive serial killer. No. And, and it kind of brings it right to the, to the next point that you were, that I want to discuss in here is when you said, you know, science teaches us deductive logic, abductive logic, top down, yeah. bottom up processing. You know, you brought up William Occam, Occam's razor amongst competing hypothesis. The one with the fewest assumptions should be selected and you talk about that's the essence of heuristic processing, which it's easier and faster to chalk up the unknown as something unknown, right? So what is, what is heuristic processing? What, what do you mean yeah. by that? So uh, step number one, and, and, it's, and it's great because we get uh, from different clients, uh, our name, Arcadia Cognorati, very old, very Greek, okay? So I like to reach back uh, because something that's really old sticks around. So when you talk about a heuristic, you could spend the entire rest of your life studying heuristics. Right. There's so many varieties. There's more heuristics than there are biases, right? Which is an inside joke, but you'll get it. Uh, so a heuristic is simply a mental shortcut uh, to arrive at a decision much more quickly than having to sit down and conduct a number of experiments. And in uh, uh, Greek, heuristic literally means to discover, to find something right. out, okay? So what a heuristic template or prototypical match, it's just a cue in our environment that help us quickly choose an option or make a decision or solve a complex problem. So it's a much more, it's a faster, robust way of using artifacts and evidence in your environment around you that you've already seen to deduce or induce what's about to happen next. Okay. And, and 
that gets into because you, you when we mentioned it on here a lot, and especially you, you brought up in that, the article specifically. But you know, is that what you mean when you say cognitively close enough? Yeah, absolutely. So, it, like, so again, Brian, great question, and let me preface it this way: uh, I've worked in environments in urban and rural settings. I've worked more homicides than most people have ever met people in their entire lives. And when I go there, there's logic and there's reason and there's evidence. And I put those things together and it points to the likely killer. If you go in saying, hey, this looks like the work of so-and-so, right. then you've biased yourself. So that's the first mistake. Second mistake is when things happen and they're scary. So now you're chasing the killer into the building and he doesn't want to go to jail. Okay. What happens is you see a bear in your environment and the bear goes lumbering by. And we want to see a bear when we go to the Detroit Zoo, not so much when we're out there in the woods with my right. kid playing Frisbee. So what happens is my mind scans through all available prototypes and templates that I have on board. And none of them say, hey, it's likely a bear. But the first one says, oh, it was lumbering through the woods and it was big and it was furry. That's a Sasquatch. Now, every environment has a Santa Every environment. You go to any place on the face of the planet, and they, they got this story. magic guy that's going to yeah. come in and bring stuff. Every uh, 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 territory and village and tribe on the planet has a Sasquatch story. It's Sasquatch. It's Yeti. Chupacabra. It's Bigfoot. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, so what happens is it's much easier to say that's inexplicable because I don't have the words or the history to explain it, so I'll make something up. Uh, a light in the sky that was brighter than yesterday. Well- Everybody says it was a flame out of a 747 engine over Anchorage. Okay. But the people that didn't read the news, they say it's a UFO. And that begins the abduction theory. And now it's really hard to get rid of those Loch Ness. Okay. Uh, We know that the original Loch Ness monster photos, okay, we know that they were fake. The guy in his deathbed says, hey, I want to, you know, withdraw that. I want to take it back. But then what do we say? We say, yeah, but there was a saint that fought a beast, a sea beast. And this is what he was talking. So we even go back and reconstruct crappy history. Well, we'll we'll, we'll take bits and pieces of things that did happen or you can prove, string them together. making. And And that's the scent right there. That's the scent that doesn't pass the smell test, right? And that's that's the idea with it is is what what is it that you're using? Because you brought up artifacts and evidence supporting a reasonable conclusion. We'll we'll call that an enemy. You have to have an answer is what I keep going back to. Well, and and you said it simply. So let's put words to that. That's making order out of chaos. Right. Your brain, your eyes, uh, your eyes will pixelate something. They'll dump a bunch on your visual field. You've got very, very small functional field of view and an even smaller uh, uh, lens with which to view that information. And so what happens is not everything that we see can matter to my brain because I don't have the bandwidth for it. So what my brain does is it chunks certain information. And if that information doesn't fit, it excludes it. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so it doesn't measure it, that too. Which gets into just confirmation bias. Exactly. I mean, you're, 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 and everyone says, well, you know. Pieces one through four fit this pattern. So piece five is likely must, to fit the next pattern. It. Right. Yeah. So the, the idea is we have to remain cognitively close enough so we can make fast decision in extremis in, in extremely challenging situations or Spartan situations or, or situations that don't have a lot of fidelity. That's survival. But we've lost the ability to rehearse survival in our brains. So our brain immediately thinks it's a dinosaur that's going to eat us. That's why we run or we flinch uh, at a danger, right? And that's why the dog still does it when the doorbell rings. Right. Well, you you brought up, uh, and you're kind of talking about it now, but in one of the things you mentioned here, you said Hollywood, Bollywood, comics, commercials, they added ridiculous standards to our internal baseline, which yep. becomes exacerbated when the neurochemical cocktails are influenced by fear. So I, 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 there was an important term in there, that internal baseline. What do you, what do you mean by an internal baseline? And, and the existence of an internal baseline must mean there's, there's an external baseline, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So we, look, whether you're a cop or whether you're a HR person, whether you're hiring or firing somebody, we always see things from our point of view. And the problem is, if I don't put your shoes on, if I don't see today from your point of view, I have no idea where your cup is. So if your cup is already full and I go, hey, Johnson, I need to talk to you. Okay. And now the anxiety starts building and hey, uh, come on into my office and close the door. Anxiety's building. You see, it's not going to be a good day. Johnson's not getting promoted. We already know it. And each second, each minute is driving uh, his internal baseline towards the red. Okay. And, and imagine that, that gauge, right? And it's flapping. The RPMs are going way over, right? But we don't see it. Why don't we see it? 
because it's just another firing. Johnson's just another employee. It just happens to be Monday. So what happens is the kid comes in and shoots up the school, and every student knows it. Yeah. But then everybody else that comes and goes, how would we have known? There were no signs. There were signs and signals. The problem was you weren't wearing your glasses. There were smells and sounds and feels and taste before the car accident on the freeway this morning, just before we got to Ferndale. Okay, but you know what? Nobody put those gems together and said, oh, cold road conditions. It's slippery. I may. What happens is you have to take a look at a situation from the perspective of the situation you're in, not how I've always been. Because if I rely on my internal baseline, I've never eaten human flesh. I've never uh, seduced a person to get in my house and then hacked them with a machete. Well, there's other people that do that for a living. Okay. So what I have to do is I have to acquiesce. I have to take a step back and I have to look at that situation and take a knee and go, I wonder how he or she is feeling right now. What's a cop do when they come up to the scene? A cop has an agenda. I have this agenda. You keep it down. You sit down. You stand over there. And if anything starts misfiring on any of those command and control issues, the cop's anxiety starts going up. But wait a minute. You're at internal. Stop for a minute and go, hey, I wonder what it would be like if this police vehicle screeched up to the corner and everybody that jumped out had guns, right? So we have to balance that. And and the, the place that I saw it first and foremost was on the streets of Detroit where when somebody pulled up and slowed down uh, while you were walking along the street, they weren't going to stop and ask directions, right? It was probably going to be something else. So I had to think about what their likelihood was. What is the evidence showing me? And we go right back to the preternatural, supernatural, Brian. When it first started, I remember being in, in Iraq and I would see soldiers and Marines either die or be seriously injured. And I would look at the situation. So these Marines and soldiers had sandbags and they had plywood. So they said, you know what? They're trying to blow us up and shoot us. We'll build these structures. Now, we haven't had a class on Pendleton about this structure, but we'll build this structure and we'll put a folding chair in it. And I saw those collapse, okay, and kill or injure the Marine or the soldier before they ever saw combat. Why? Because the sandbags collapsed. Why? Because they couldn't play out the likelihood in that situation. So that's internal. I want to protect myself but external, how many sandbags can this five-eighths inch of marine ply hold? Do you, do you get where I'm trying to say? There's yeah. a science to it. Well, and and you and I have, have kind of had discussions about this before and almost a little, not necessarily disagreement, maybe maybe just a, a lexicon issue. Maybe it's a language and on how it's described, but I, it's it's very difficult to take another person's perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. Psychologically speaking, that that's because because it turns into a platitude. It's like, well, you got to see it from their eyes. Well, man, I didn't grow up on this street. I don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't have those experiences. I didn't get that. That didn't happen to me. How am I supposed to do this? Which is why I like it when you kind of break it down between internal versus external baseline, right. and and just using the context of the situation, you can figure it out. Yeah, Meaning exactly. You don't have to know everything about that person. You just have to be able to take a step out of yourself for a second and take the take the drone view in a sense to go. Yep. All right, you just you're in the middle of a neighborhood. A bunch of people were sitting here, and you came screeching up and slammed on the brakes. Well, what how what would you would, expect exactly? To so 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 compare that, juxtapose that, set that right next to some experiences that you and I had, uh, not together, but uh, uh, jointly. We were in Afghanistan at different times, and we had different experiences. And then we came together a couple of times, and in in ultimately, it ended up in Arcadia. Uh, but think of this. I mean, the forming the business. Think of this. When we were in Afghanistan, we were outside the wire, and we weren't near a, a, a fob or a, a cop or a base that we could stop in and get gas and all that other stuff. We had to make do in the environment, yes? Now, some of that was finding food. Some was finding water and some was uh, getting a haircut, something that simple that, that you needed to get done, an administrative thing. So with pointy talkie and with looking at the context of the villages that we're in, right. we could figure out who is who. Well, this kid is the mayor. Yeah. You can tell that he's actually running around with this old guy that is making the decision. So that makes him the shot caller. And, you know, that place over there looks a lot like a barbershop in my right. you know, Now, it doesn't have the same sign and the building, you know, is made out of mud huts, right? But the idea was that when we went inside, the feeling, the atmospherics were exactly alike. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to be able to get outside of ourselves to use an external baseline and say, what piece does this satisfy in the village that I'm in? What thing does this, like, uh, I've never been in America, in an American city, and seen people sitting up on side of a SUV or a bus. 
Now, in every, you know, I've been in 53 countries, everywhere else in the world, if there's a space on the roof, time. that's yeah. where you're going. You're going to climb on and you're going to help the other little kids get on too. And that's why sometimes in India, they have horrible train accidents or, you know, uh, in, in uh, Pakistan, they have a, a bus that overturns and kills a lot of people. And we read that and what do we go? Look at those backwoods second class people. We never for a minute consider ourselves in that environment. And if you wanted to get to the medical facility that day, that's, that's how, how you had to do there. it. So a comparison against a baseline and making sure that I don't immediately jump to an internal baseline, which we use the word prejudice. An internal baseline has to be prejudice because it's based yeah, on, on me. You. Yeah. So it, if I it can't, can't not be, it can't not be, it's inevitable, right? So if we go back to psychologically inevitable, the idea is to walk softly and listen a lot more than you talk, right? If you do that, then you'll find out, Hey, this is just like me. This is just like my house. I have a favorite chair. This guy has a favorite chair. That's the kind of thing that I want no, to get and, into. And that goes into, obviously, one of our first principles of Arcadia about people are the same all over the world. All over the and world. We could do an entire episode just on yeah. that and what we mean by that. But, but you know, it's looking for those similarities, not the differences, to help you assimilate those new environments. You brought up the examples of going to places like Afghanistan, yeah. which is about as, as rural as you can get. Amen. And, and just, Farmland. I mean- and, uh, you know, you know, same thing, you don't speak the language and you can still get by. It's not like going to Mars. You know exactly. I mean? so and still... we knew that cars would go in a certain direction. Yeah. Let, me, let me give you an Iraq thing. So my, my first time to Iraq, I came back and now I'm facing Marines that are about to go to Iraq and I saw a lot of death and destruction. So the very first thing that I did that pissed off all of the supervisors was I turned one of the Marines around and grabbed the strap on the back of their kit. You know, the big body bunker, you guys had a term for it. And uh, I said, does anybody know what the strap is for? And they all go, yeah, it's to drag a buddy out of combat. And I walked out and I let him think about that for a couple of minutes. Then I walked back in and I gave the class. Why? I wanted to smack them with reality so they would step out of their internal and look at their external and go, holy crap, I'm wearing a strap that somebody created on my back because they are likely going to get my legs blown out or I'm going to get shot and somebody's going to have to give me first aid. There's nothing more sobering. As a matter of fact, instead of giving a coin, if you gave somebody a tourniquet, now you're getting them to think outside of the internal and start to process the external. And, and look, people talk about situational awareness. Kiss my butt. <laughs> what, what you're doing is you're undersimplifying something that's a hard process. Right. A template and prototype match for a heuristic in every nuanced environment. And that's really hard to do. So somebody that writes and goes, it's easy, they're out of their minds. Okay, we, every scholar is still having problems writing about it, and every movie is having problems uh, filming it, yeah? Yeah. So, so you got to slow down. And internal external is a really, really good way to do it. And, you know, you you, you brought up in there um, kind of, again, going with the, the baseline and taking another perspective and some of the different examples you used. Because you, know, you, you talked about serial killers, and there's yep. there's a, such a fascination out there for people with that. And, I, you know, I, I understand the fascination because they think, oh, my God, this is – so odd. It's so rare. And they want it that this must be some unique individual that can do this. Um, it, there must be some, you know, they, it, everyone must throw out some different psychological term for it. Um, and there's podcasts on that yep. stuff. It's get all those documentaries because people are just interested again, because it's, it's novel. They, they really don't understand it is why yes. I think they're so powerful. But, you know, you actually said in this, you said the truth of each case is more interesting, disturbing, and amazing than any script or screenplay could ever touch but we're okay with it because unlike reality, this goes back yep. to the documentaries and the movies about it. When the house lights come up, we can walk out of the theater safe in the knowledge that these characters were just actors playing in a role. Yes. And so that, that fantasy versus reality is those, those lines can get blurred. Yes. Right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And that's what you're talking about. The whole article too, yep. is that, that, that blurs those lines. And I can enjoy that in that, in, in that setting, in that context, because it's okay, because I'm just, I'm just looking in the Fabergé egg, right? I don't have to live inside there. You don't I'm live in the village. At- so you just described perfectly with the Fabergé egg analogy, you, you described two things, Plato's allegory of the clay, cave and internal versus external perspective. You can only see and know what you see and know. And if you base all your assumptions on that, then you come to a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, this guy, here we go, right? And, and that's always going to lead us off in a direction that we don't want to. So I've, I've had, uh, 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 I don't know if it's luck, uh, to uh, actually have to interview uh, killers, homicide uh, suspects, and uh, people convicted of homicide, uh, multiple murders, and serial killers. Okay, so you know that sometimes that happens in the oddest times, and I always jump in and avail myself of that because I don't want to miss the opportunity. 
And the thing that scares you more than any film I've ever seen in Hollywood is where we're sitting exactly like I am with you. And he says, yeah, at that point, I knew that they knew it was me. So I stabbed them in the jugular and then I had to lean them real quickly because I didn't want it to bleed all over the floor. I tried to hit the floor drain before I decapitated them. And they're talking like it's a walk in the park. Now, not three miles from where we're sitting right now, I had to investigate something that was a pretty bad incident. A father and his kids went to a, a Home Depot style store and they bought a mattress and the kids were excited because it was the bunk beds. You know how oh, that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. And so imagine your first yeah, bunk oh, yeah. bed. And so the dad, they went to a place where they could tie him down on top of the van and the girl said, oh, let me sit up on top and I'll hold him down. And so the dad made the fatal choice of letting his daughter get upside the van. It happened on the freeway, not far from where we are right now. And uh, of course, when they reached a certain speed, uh, wind shear and lifted the mattress and the girl got hit by a number of cars and died. So I had to interview dad. Okay. Now imagine dad had no idea what was coming next. He never had an intent. He loved his kids and never wanted to see an injury. Now put those people in the chair that you're sitting in yeah. and imagine the difference in those interviews. So when people don't understand how interesting the human mind is, both of those people had to process the same information. One as the delivering agent. You, you see what I'm saying? One as having to react to those things that are going on. And if we're internally biased, we're never going to see the angle of that interview. We're never going to be able to ask that next question. So what were you thinking then? What happened then? Because we're already going to have a likely conclusion in our mind. That's why we go with heuristics because heuristics are a template or prototypical match at a rapid speed based on artifacts and evidence to come to the most reasonable conclusion now. Now, guess what happens, Brian? In a month, if the DNA comes back and it's different, I'm a scientist. I change my opinion, right? right? Well, and and, and this, get, this gets back to how, how do you make this it goes back to what what this is about sense yeah. making. How do you make it more clear cut, and and how how does that work? And because you're giving you're you're sort of giving examples of it, but it goes back to you know we love we, we use music a lot yes. even in our training courses, and we have a whole playlist for people, and it creates memory yeah, motion. Like we did course. we did a whole episode on on why uh, music is so powerful, um, and you know you ended it with perfect in vogue quote. You know before before you can can read me you got to learn how to see me because that's what everyone wants i want to I, I read you know you, everyone's got the i'm an expert at reading human yep. behavior or whatever on their linkedin title which is hilarious which yep. immediately and they couldn't like, read well, a book yeah, well, exactly well but the idea is like okay reading human behavior it's, it's not like that it's not a squared plus b squared equals c squared it's not it's not an algorithm it is an algorithm but it's not one that that like you like you just said there's complexity there and it changes and so so i i think that's part of the reason why we get things wrong is once I arrive at the answer, obviously confirmation bias, it's, it's very difficult for me yes. to ever change that, that answer. It's, I don't <laughs> so ever, true. I will fight against it. Be like, no, I know this is what happened. Even when, you know, all of the evidence clearly points to that. And, and so because we're biased in a sense, all humans, and I use that in the term that that term gets yeah. thrown around a lot now, um, in cognition bias, a cognition bias is something you cannot do anything about. There's no, there's nothing you can You're do. You're born about. with you, it. Yeah. You, you can, you can understand it exactly. and get a better, know how it affects you, but there's nothing you and, can do And you about can go it. retroactively and go back and go, wow, wow. Yeah. I suffered from <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I was an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I saw that the wrong way. Yes. I didn't see that coming. Um, but, but you know, those are going to affect us. So what everyone wants is the simple answer of, well, how do I, counter that how do i not fall victim to those things because at the same time because you brought up you mentioned it it all comes down to time and distance right the the further away i am the longer time i have i can right now and and that's fantasy at the furthest distance and reality at zero but but even with my own life i can sit back here and look at stuff i did 20 years ago and go oh okay yeah i see where i did this wrong because one i can i can look back on it and i can learn i've got the benefit of time but when and and then obviously the more immediate that situation is yeah uh, that 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 clock is now ticking faster and faster and faster. We got the twenty four the twenty four show or whatever where it's yes. ticking down to the, to, the, to that to that kickoff. And we're 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 back to Hitch. We're back to Alfred Hitchcock with the bomb under the so table. That, and only he knows that, it, and the counter's going. The temporal element it yes. plays right into my limbic system and right into my survival mode. Going, this is immediate right now. This is a threat. And so so a lot of people. What what I see mm. is everyone goes, okay, this is going to happen. And when this happens, here's Do these some things three things. It's like, well, Stop. wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Can we wind that clock back and not get to the point where I'm in, where I'm making 
I'm Pepe Le Pew. I want to yes. be I want to be a Sherlock Holmes, right? Yeah, and so how do I how do I wind that back though, and not not ever get to the point where I'm now making life or death decisions, even though it's not a life or death situation? But everything is a life or death situation. To your, First, to your brain, acknowledge that your brain will see it as such. It's very binary when it comes to that. As a matter of fact, your limbic system is overriding your PFC, your prefrontal cortex, every day to yeah. tell you that. And if you can read that, you're going to have a wonderful, rich, beautiful life. I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to play Teresa Caputo or, or, or John Edwards right now. You know I've never been in this building before, right? You're correct. Okay, you set everything up. Yep. Okay, so I walked in 35 minutes ago. I've never met any of the people in the room. True? True. Okay, so right here out of my periphery, there's a book. Mm-hmm. And the book is uh, Barry Gordy's To Be Loved. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, so you know where that takes me? 1958, a boxer. Uh, 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 we have a person, little Jackie Wilson singing lonely teardrops. Barry Gordy says, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let's produce it. Comes up with that to be loved, to be loved. What a great song. So why is music important? Because that book on that shelf in a room I've never been helps build the atmosphere of this room and is going to help me talk to the people in this building and be better at my job. So I see a money counter. That's important. I see the things around. So what are those? Those are artifacts and evidence. So if I walk up on your car in a traffic stop and I see that it's disheveled mess and it's a, a, a you know horrible and I got food packages and cigarette yeah. packs and everything, you're not going to be the serial killer. You know why? Because you can't even hold it together in your own house well, the, with your food. The funny thing is in here on the bookshelf that you can't see is behind you. There's a stack of running books in there, right? And all these books, better runner, be to this, how to run. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I wonder, and I'm, my brain immediately went, okay, I wonder who today, I wonder who the runner is. Well, the owner who's not here today, who just called before yeah. we started, he goes, hey, sorry, man, I just finished a half marathon down in Miami where I'm at. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, right, well, right. I so, guess this is his place. So Brian, all the cues are available all around us. Yeah. But listening skills in humans blow. We, we really suck at listening. Yeah. Because while your lips are moving and you're talking, I'm, thinking I'm already next, thinking yeah. of what I want to say next because my internal baseline is much more important than anything that you could come up with. And there's the fear. The fear is that I can't separate fantasy from reality because the life I'm living at home that I repeat every single day, I get up, I go to work, I stop for coffee here, I go in and say hi to this person, I do the minimal standard, then catch up on my LinkedIn or uh, play Angry Birds or whatever else it is, and then I come home. On the way home, I stop at uh, uh, the beer joint or I stop at a fast food place or it's right across (laughs) the street or, or, or whatever. Well, rinse and repeat. Why do I rinse and repeat? Because it gives me a sense of comfort, like that baby blanket that I held on to till I was 11 and my dad finally slapped it out of my hands and said, what are you thinking? So I have to be prompted by my environment. And when my environment speaks to me, if I'm not paying attention, guess what happens? I'm missing all of these great opportunities to make sense out of the future. Because everything I learn as a kid or as an adolescent or as an adult, I can pay forward to the next thing that happens to me. That's why I don't exhibit road rage because I've already anticipated road rage. That's why I don't get upset when a kid sneaks out the window and has a cache of clothes somewhere because I've already anticipated that those things are going to happen. And Brian, anticipation and the time of uh, the gift of time and distance are the two most important factors of any human reconciling what's around them. And you know, a lot of a lot of folks want to say, well this is something you can do. Go out in your environment and look for these things yeah. and go, and and th- that's great. And maybe that works sometimes at some place in some space. With a very rigid place. list yeah, and I a mean, very important environment. But, yeah. but you know, you almost have to do the opposite of that it is, you know, you're talking about reading contextual clues or cues yep. in your environment and yes. that's what builds the story. And so you want to build an act as an accurate story as possible. Yes. And so we do, I, you know, I do that everywhere we go. It's just when we talk about human behavior and what's normal and what isn't, it's more like really what's typical than what's atypical. Atypical, yeah, you're but, exactly but, right, scientifically. But then what you're trying to do is, it, it, that's all based on the situation that you're in, in that environment. That's very different in here than it is down the hall at whatever other offices here, which is different than the parking lot, which is different than this. So I don't have to, there is no such thing as a list of these are the pre-event indicators that if you see these things, you can stop this from happening or you'll see it doesn't exist. It's not there. But what you can do is just get get really good at figuring out what's normal. Yes. What, what is, what's vanilla? What is just normal baseline where I'm at right now? What should I expect to see? Should I expect to see people driving a little bit slower because of the weather? Day? Yeah. But am I also going to see some people that don't, don't care and aren't taking that into account. Exactly. We saw it and what happened to them, right? Hey, Came into a three car pileup yeah. on the way here. And so, so all of those things kind of play into it. And 
because some of the concepts we talked about, we just hit the wave tops yes, of and are extremely complex, you know, it becomes, well, you're, you're, this, this is too hard then. How do I, how do I learn all this? How do I know all this? And so, so let me give you an example yeah. of a couple of very simple things uh, to show you how easy it is to do an on-duty roll call or come in and take a knee with your team just before you go out on the field. So we were training SEALs at a base that I can't talk about. And I sent an advance party out to take a look at different locations where we could observe for surveillance at elevation during a scenario. And they came back and they go, this is the place. And I won't say the building because everybody will know what we're talking about because other tier one operators have used it. And they said, oh, it's perfect. We can see here a thousand meters. We can see here 1100. We can see this. So these would be perfect. And I go, okay. So Shelly and I show up, we're starting to allocate the teams where to go. And I go to their OP and there's all of these deciduous trees with all of the leaves on, and I can't see 15 feet. When do you think the advance party went? <laughs> they went the advance party went in the fall. You get what I'm trying to say? And so they go, man, I can see forever, never considering that those trees would populate leaves. So we had to come up with something. Now, that's anticipating time temporarily forward and saying, what's a likely spiral that can come from it? I'll tell you a situation that happened in combat. It killed a lot of people. They said that uniforms were stolen, so be on the lookout. And you'll remember Camp mm -hmm. Korean Village and yep. the horrific event that happened there. It was soon after Camp Korean Village. But you know what uniforms were stolen? PT gear. And the people that came in, the wire, were wearing PT gear, running in formation, in plain sight. Why did people miss it? Because that bolo, that be on the lookout, never specified that the uniform was, was a physical, a physical training, training yeah. outfit. So, Brian, we exclude that which we don't consider and we do it autonomically so if i don't think critically about yeah. what might populate the environment i'm going into external okay then i'm stuck in the internal and all i can compare the known and the unknown against is my own experiences well you i mean you tied it right back to the you know before you can read me you got to learn how to see me i mean exactly you we know more about outer space than we do about what's in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 and our, you think and about our that. phone can process well, more information they, than I mean, but a you, computer think, did on the lunar land. Yes, exactly. but think about that. I mean, we study, scientists study outer space. We're, we're sending, we, we've got a lunar, where we've got some uh, drone on yep. Mars right now, collecting yep. information, looking if they're- The Japanese do too, but their view but, is upside down. Just so, so, you know. so if we send stuff all the way out there and we're constantly probing and right. we literally- we literally don't know that much of information about what's in the bottom of the ocean that's right yep. here on earth. Why? And it's, and I, this is not being oversimplified. I can't see that. Exactly. I can't see what's down there, but if I look up, yes, I can see what's going on up there. And if I get a telescope, I can see even farther and then I can launch something out there to see even farther. Yes. So I can see up there, but that, man, that, that dark, scary place down there, Ryan, the bottom of the ocean, I can't see it. When we did the test with the kids, we did two tests on the same weekend at the dojo and both of them got picked up by DOJ. The first test was draw a picture. Every single kid that came into the dojo, draw a picture of what a stranger looked like. And everyone came out with uh, folks read the article because the photos are there. You'll be able to see it. Every uh, comic villain yeah. mirrors the look that they make. Matter of fact, you and I were in a class and we were talking about EOD and bombs. And I asked the young female that was in the class, what was your impression of a bomb? And she mentioned the round bomb with the, the fuse that yeah. we saw in all the cartoons yeah, with a coyote. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because she'd never seen an IED. So you can't be expected to formulate an opinion on something or compare it if you've never had an experience. So training is specifically designed to put you in experiences that you can pay for it. Look, I'm not sure what a bomb looks like, but I think if a bomb was in that garbage can setting by that door, that would cause more danger than one setting outside. Okay, so whose bag is that? Well, I'm not sure. Do you understand now how I'm building a case that yeah. this might be something? I didn't have to peer inside of it and see it was a bomb. Same thing with the sniper, guy on the roof during a parade. If he ain't carrying a camera, guess what? I need to take a knee, get my binos out and figure out First of all, where's his orientation? Could he be looking at the parade? Then is he attempting to conceal himself in any way? Do you see artifacts and evidence put together? That's reason. And if I, uh, uh, let's go back to our dogs. Our dogs don't have reason. Right. So they it's, didn't come up with, no. where did Brian go? Because you went out to get the paper. They said, oh my God, he's Brian gone. abandoned me. He's never coming <laughs> back. So and so excited. the dog yeah. is, a, you know, he's manic because of it. Come and on. then so excited when I get back. Right? Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. And, and my um, dog's not very excited when I come home. So, <laughs> and, and, I got to uh, train my dog. 
it, and you know, there's, there's a lot more, uh, we can un- unpack with this. Certainly. Um, but uh, you know, I really wanted to start it out with this in, in errors of sense making yeah. because there's a lot of things get attributed to that person was an idiot or they're stupid, or I would never have done that. Yep. And that automatically means you're never going to learn from, from that incident. You're never going to take exactly. anything away from it unless you went, what if that was me? What, how would I have made, how would I have gotten to the point where I made such a stupid decision like that? And then once you unpack it, you yep. realize, well, wait a minute, in that point in time, that wasn't a stupid decision. Exactly. That made a whole hell of a lot of sense to that individual at that time. And being overwhelmed. We have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes information comes at us so fast that we're going to be overwhelmed. That's where training steps in. Because even if I'm overwhelmed, I'm likely to react positively to the situation before it becomes fatal. So training has a function. Yeah. One, to experience things that I haven't experienced again. But two, to be able to pay forward likely outcomes so I can decide now before I go down and slip on the ice. I can right. decide to change my shoes or my hat because it's raining or snowing. Those are critical decisions in modern day sense making that'll keep you alive. I think that's probably a, a good spot to uh, sort of bring it in for for a landing. Um, you know, again, we covered a lot. I'll, I'll post this on our, our Patreon, the, the actual article and, and some, some other stuff on there. So folks can reach out with different questions and, and, you know, we love it when people get on there and ask us very specific stuff about some of the episodes or, Hey, you brought up this. What did you mean by that? Sure. Um, because it allows us to really kind of dive deep into it. And then it informs kind of future episodes of, of what we're talking is. about. But for the, the first one of the new name of the show and the relaunch of the human behavior podcast, I really wanted to start here because I thought that's a great starting point for understanding human behavior and how it works. Cause you have to be able to make sense of your environment in order to make an informed decision. And, and if you start there, you're, you're less, you're literally less likely to be wrong. You're going, you're going to be right more often than you're wrong because everyone's going to make a mistake or you're going to see something incorrectly, but you can fine tune that your own innate ability that was given to us by you know, God, Allah, Buddha, Vishnu, whoever you whoever. choose to believe in or believe not believe in, whatever it is, like we have that on board. Yeah. We're just not used to using it anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I would add something. I would add that I was uh, born and raised, uh, born at St. John's, born and raised at Aiton Gratiot, not far from where we are right now. Uh, all of my experiences came to me from growing up and living on the street and learning about people. Uh, 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 I would say that every once in a while you need help. Yeah. You can get help reading a book or watching a movie, but you also get help by going to those people that were there that lived those experiences and talking to them. Uh, Motown, we're in Motown. Yeah. And we talk about the memory and emotion link of music mm-hmm. and how we can warn you. Uh, the famous uh, story of the seals we trained and, and training those same seals that were at that place without the uh, green leaves. Uh, uh, they went into combat and what song did we prep them with during that was should I stay or should I go? And if you feel that song coming up in the environment, that means that your unconscious brain is there before you are. That's why we can memorize every lyric of a song. Right. That's why we can be driving along and all of a sudden hear a song and go, damn, I love the iron on because we've associated that so if you and i'll leave you with this for our next episode if you study the string theory and you understand those vibrations are important stringed musical instruments playing in the background the wall of sound another uh, great concept so we've got so much to unpack i'll leave it there yeah but i'll tell you uh uh, you know we're we're not done giving yet this may be the first episode but we've got hundreds before it that informed where we're going yep well, I think that's a good point to to end on, and we appreciate everyone for listening and tuning in. Always reach out to us. All the the, the links and to everything we discuss will be in the episode details, and same with our contact information. Um, follow us on Patreon. We got all kinds of extra stuff on there, and don't forget that training changes behavior.